0: Hey guys, it's Laree and Shamian, and we're back. We're back with another episode of Black Queer and dot dot dot. The dot 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 today includes a wonderful man named Reverend Kamal, mm-hmm. and well, you can tell us a little bit about him. You know him a lot
1: better than I do, so okay, read a little I'm gonna, bit. So. I'm gonna read his bio. Uh, Reverend Kamal Hassan is a spiritual leader, educator, and community servant. He currently serves as pastor at the Sojourner Truth Presbyterian Church in Richmond, California, a position he has held since 2008. He is also a board member and co-spiritual director of the One Life Institute of Spirituality and Social Transformation based in Oakland. He is also a campus pastor and adjunct instructor at the Pacific School of Religion in Berkeley, he holds an AA degree in radio broadcasting from Los Angeles City College, a BA in history from CSU uh, uh, Los Angeles, and a Master of Divinity degree from the San Francisco Theological Seminary. I kept having like something run down my throat. Did you notice I had to keep pausing? Yeah, I did. I don't and know swallowing. what that was about. Because <laughs> I felt like I was choke, about to choke. But Reverend Kamal... Uh, i've known him for a few years now, and he's just an awesome person awesome pastor awesome mentor just a wonderful human being that really he really um sort of stands at the forefront of promoting uh lgbtq inclusivity and he's a pastor that doesn't just talk it but he he walks it he lives it and so hope you enjoy this uh, interview. It kind of builds up like a sermon for me in terms of the energy. You know, when you first start the sermon, it's kind of, okay, setting the scene. And then it builds and builds. And I think at some point we were like, whoa, we're just blown away. Just an amazing uh, person.
0: Yeah. So we hope you guys enjoy it. And here
2: it is.
3: Um, I identify as a cisgender straight uh, male. Um, the pronouns I use are he, his, and they.
1: You use they pronouns, Rev? I didn't know. I do. Wow. I'm curious to know since when?
3: Um, I'd say about two years.
1: Would you be willing to say a little bit more about, about that? Because I just find it, the reason why I ask is I find it fascinating that because you identify as a cisgender straight man that you use the pronoun they, it's intriguing.
3: Yeah. I love it. Oh,
1: okay, yeah, <laughs> it's intriguing in a great way.
3: <laughs> I use uh, they pronoun along with uh, he and him because one of the things that becoming more knowledgeable about uh, queer identity has to do with um, how I think sometimes there's a lot of unexplored territory in our gender identities Mm -hmm. because, you know, we're generally kind of like assigned and then we kind of follow a path without really exploring deeply what all of that could mean. And so uh, in my own mind, you know, thinking about the day leaves open the possibility that there's other things I don't know about myself just yet. And I don't want to close those off.
2: Wow. I love that. Yeah, so do
1: I.
0: Shamian and I were talking the other day and, um, I was explaining to her that I still, you know, might still use the pronoun she, but I, I'm also using they, because I feel the same way. I feel like, um, you know, there, there's so much more to learn. And so I, I just don't want people to get hung up on, um, you know, just hung up on appearance. And like, that's just what it is. It's like right. they see you and right. um, they see nothing else except for what they assume is underneath your clothes or what they assume, you know, or how they assume you identify or act or whatever. And so yeah. I, I love that because I feel like they just leaves it open for, um, not for people, for other people to make their assumptions, but for us to keep discovering more about ourselves.
3: Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And I think, you know, we make up our minds about our, we've been encouraged to make up our minds about ourselves with so little information. You know, I mean, as, as, as we learn more, I, I hopefully will be open to what I find. Yeah. Um, you know, that's my hope at least.
0: I love that. Oh my gosh, that makes me feel so... So, so good. Yay.
2: So, (laughs) (laughs) it
0: does. No, honestly, one of the reasons I say that is because um, I know you know Shamian pretty well, and you don't, like, you and I have not gotten a chance to really get to know each other, but I do know, I I know about you, and of course we've met, but I come from a very, um, uh, a very strict Southern Baptist household. Mm. Um, you know, my dad is a theology professor and so I've always known who I was and who I am, but you know, when you grow up in such a strong, you know, as a pastor's kid and like you, you still are taught to like, you know, you're not really that person, you know what I mean? Or that who that person is may not be right. So, you know, you're taught to, to think a certain way. And so I've always had this idea of especially black male preachers all to be kind of the same, which is, you know, Mm -hmm. once we have learned a certain thing or a certain way, we don't, we don't move from that. And so Mm -hmm. it's so refreshing to hear you talk about, you know, just in this beginning, we haven't even really dug in yet, but to hear you say (laughs) that, you know, like, there's more for you to learn and there's more for you to know. And a lot of times, you know, like the older we get, the the more we feel like, nope, there's nothing else for us to learn. There's nothing else. You know, this is what I was taught. And this is, you know, we don't do the research, but it's like, this is what I was taught. So that's it. I'm not, I'm not taking in any more knowledge or any more understanding. My understanding stops here. So it's so refreshing to hear that.
3: Well, you know, I I think it's, uh for me at least a part of my function of how how high a value transformation has in my religious understanding and it really does mean being open open to change and questioning wherever i think i land in what i believe i know believe myself to know and so my identity as i understand it is not just who i am but who i'm becoming And so coming is, as it's, it's a, it's a, a, it's a journey. It's not a, it's a process, right? It's not a destination or a final, a final verdict. So, so I do that with my thinking and with my theology and with my living. So I want to be always open to learning new things and growing in ways, even that I had not um, expected. So, so, A number of the things that I encountered when I did the certificate program on gender, sexuality, and the Bible, you know, wonderfully helped me to think again, right? I think that's part of—there's a queering question in one of our things— but I think that's one of the things that querying does is it gives us the opportunity to think again yeah. and to uh, hear from uh, hear stories of people that we have taught not to listen to and and sometimes silence. But then when we do hear and are and are willing to really listen, then we benefit from the wisdom or the knowing. Uh, from people who have traveled a different path. And I want, that, I want that to make a difference in me. So that's why I try to remain open to, to new ideas and new ways of thinking about myself and others.
1: Wow, love what, kind of like, what does the word uh, black and the word queer mean to you, Rev?
3: So black, uh, I think I know, know this in three ways, and that's spirit, rhythm, and story. Um that's um that actually is the title of a book that um, the husband of one of the members of our church has written. and he's a musician and it's and it's about uh, the use of music in healing and he, and he traces the roots of it back to African culture.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And so for me, it's a it's a claimed identity that um, has its roots in african in African traditions. And then it's expression in many other ways across the diaspora. Uh, But there are certain features that are present, even in those diverse places. One of those is the idea that art has a social function. That, you know, music and song and storytelling and painting and dance, uh, there's a they, they, they contribute to the being of people and how they interact with themselves and others. It's less art for art's sake, but art that reflects uh, and also encourages uh, connection with the divine and the ancestor spirits. So that's one. The other one has to do with my sense of black is that it, it, that it draws from African cultural practice is the sense that individual life is always incomplete. And that's different from a lot of the Western philosophical models, like the Cartesian idea that I think, therefore, I am, right? My own personal thoughts can make me person, even in opposition to, you know, to others, persons. Uh, But with this idea that comes, (coughs) excuse me, out of South Africa called Ubuntu. That idea says, "I am because we are," and it means that I have a connection. Part of how I know who I am is my connection to other beings uh, that I name as a part of my community, or that claim me as well as a part of uh, as a part of the community. Mm. It also visions the divine and understands the relationship with the divine as something that adds. And saves and uh, loves, as opposed to something that uh, inspires terror, fear, and guilt. So, so that, and then there's also, like, so then as we go from that to the blue sensibility, um, it, it also involves a blue sensibility that has to do with the Holocaust of the African uh, transatlantic slave trade and, and how that introduced into the world. Uh, into our world, well, in, in everyone's world, uh, the, the, the degrading of uh, black bodies mm-hmm. and the modification of black bodies huh. uh, and the destruction of black mo- bodies and identities or the attempts to do that. And so, having having survived that, not being destroyed by it, but it still has left us with a, a particular way of uh, experience of, you know, how do we how do we live through this this wounding, hmm. this this terrible denial of us, this breaking of our communities and our relationships, and still believe that it's, that life is worth living those things are black (laughs) um as well as um i wouldn't say an optimistic um view of the future but a a hopeful one Hmm. Uh, that there is something on the other side better than this uh not guaranteed that we will see it or know it But our sense of the divine and, and, and the divine, quote, plan of life uh, means that even though the odds are always against us, you know, the obstacles are all, like, always against us, that, 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 with, that with the divine, um, that will have the final say and not the odds or the obstacles. And so that's how I, I think about black. Wow. Um,
1: Now I have to tell you, Rev, like of all the people we've had on here, that has to be the deepest explanation (laughs) of blackness. And that's what happens when you ask a preacher to come on because you get, well, we want to take you all the way back to Africa. I love it. That was actually really inspirational. I think after this recording, I'll probably listen back to some of the things that you said because there was some in there for me in terms of how you captured the struggle, but also the hope. Yeah, for the
2: future,
1: you captured our culture with the spirit and the rhythm, the storytelling. It sounds like a powerful book. As I mentioned earlier, you touched on it a bit, especially when you were talking about the way that you identify uh, in terms of using one day. But if you wanted to expound a little bit, you're more more than welcome. I always find it interesting when we ask
0: people about like what the word queer means to them, because some people feel like well, that's not how I identify. And they completely are thrown off. And it's more of like, I just like to know what people's ideas are on the word, because some people, um, come from a generation of, you know, that used to be a bad word. It was a derogatory word. And so, you know, and then we have a lot of young people who have completely reclaimed that word. And, um, you know, and so I just I always find it interesting to hear the different perspectives on what people think about that word or what it means to them. So it's like no right or wrong answer,
3: <laughs> right? Well, well, actually, you know, in my life experience, I've had both of those uses of the word in my lifetime. Because um, when I grew up, you know, queer meant weird. Uh, unusual um, or unorthodox, which, you know, I mean, not necessarily mean bad words, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. but it wasn't, a, it wasn't a, like a commendable. You didn't say that as a commendable to someone.
2: Mm-hmm. Right.
3: Another one of the benefits of doing the certificate on, you know, gender sexuality in the Bible and particularly uh, the class that uh, Shimeon, uh taught um, caused me to think more deeply about that, mm. right? And so, so what I'm what I'm coming from now with it has to do with um, a word of wisdom that comes from beyond our boundary, that opens up new ways of thinking, different ways of thinking, and in some ways offers a critique of traditional ideas about, you know, gender and sexual identity and, and living, and gives alternative views on how, like what I do in terms of reading scripture, interpreting it, preaching it, teaching it, and trying to use it as a guide for life, right? And hearing the stories of people from the non, non-binary way of living,
2: mm-hmm
3: that have these other ways of seeing these things and interpreting these things and naming who Jesus was and who the disciples were and what they did. And, and so I'm like, whoa! Uh, <laughs> 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 I would never have come to that idea. And I'm not saying it's invalidating, but it's like, thank you for helping me see this in a wider, broader more um, nuanced way from another voice and another experience. And so it's, um, you know, how you can read trans lives into, into, into our faith and how you can read non-binary lives into our faith and what, what texts in in this canon matter to these folks and how, how they you know, of course there's the ones that people have used as clubs, uh, to beat, uh, people who are different with, but look at the ones that for them are life giving and life affirming and, 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 and include them into the community of faith.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. Right. Um, that is something I couldn't do by myself. Right. Because I don't know the experience. I haven't lived it. And that's just not my way of seeing. So so then what happens to me that's that is a a great benefit and a reward is to be able to hear that and to see wider and better than i do right one of the the mantras in my denomination the presbyterian church usa is you know we are reformed but always reforming uh. and so i'm 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 so clear right That part of that always reforming means hearing silenced voices and stepping back and allowing those stories and those lives to step forward. So, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, what queering, um, where I'm at with it now and why I am so grateful for
0: it so let's get into my favorite term right now. <laughs> Toxic masculinity. <laughs> Toxic masculinity. So I feel like we hear these words a lot lately. Um, I was just on Shameen's not really on Twitter, uh, but I am on I'm Twitter. Once. Yeah, she's tweeted once, but because we have the podcast <laughs> page. Like I keep yeah. it up, and um, I read a lot of different people's tweets, and I have to stop myself a lot of times from um, responding to people because it is—it's not my personal page. <laughs> right. Right. So, right. But I—I I see those words so much, like on social media, and I mean we all know what it is, but I—I I hear it a lot more. Um, Like today, of course today I was reading something, but one of the guys said to someone else, it was, I can't remember what it was, but basically someone being homophobic and, you know, (laughs) and and it was uh, pretty much everyone in the thread. I don't know any of these people, but pretty much everyone in the thread, uh, they were like young black folk, Um, not teenage, but like young adults through maybe, I don't know, 35, who knows. But I saw a trend where there's a lot of homophobic comments and every once in a while, a, uh, well, more often than not, um, a, someone would come in and be like, you guys completely have this whole thing wrong. And your problem is toxic mas- masculinity. And that was the like key point that everyone was making. And so my antennas always go up when I, when I see those words or hear those words because I feel like it goes right over the the people's heads that are usually reading it or that they're talking to because they don't stop and say, well, what makes it toxic? Or what does that even mean? They just kind of keep going in their, you know, either racist rants or homophobic rants or transphobic rants. And so what, how do you define toxic masculinity?
3: Um, Yeah. Ever since you asked me that question, I've, I I think thought about it again, because um, I know that, as you said, it's a term that's used quite a bit. And and with most terms that are used quite a bit, you know, there's an assumption made that we're all all believing the same definition for the thing. And usually it's not. So I would say that toxic masculinity is what patriarchy looks like in public.
1: Ooh, Mm -hmm. man, the mic on him right there.
3: Hmm. Yeah. That needs
2: to go on a T-shirt. That that is a T-shirt (laughs) worth right there.
3: (laughs) It's how misogyny, uh, the misogynistic idea that um, men are superior to women uh, and therefore have a right to rule women and quote-unquote weaker men, it's how that's lived out, right? It's how it resides in our bodies and minds. And it's in our speech, right? About, you know, the way that we speak to and about one another. And it also has to do with the physical ways that we uh, interact with one another. That seems to trade in male privilege uh-huh. and, the, and the blindness that every privilege provides, right? And that's where a lot of the privilege is power and it becomes invisible. And it's it's invisible to the privileged but it's quite visible to the victims of the privilege yeah. but, but because because it's ubiquitous it also becomes internalized not just by the privileged but also by the victims of the privilege it it uh, prizes domination and control and and those two desires are rooted in fear, because you know things that you want to dominate or things that you want or you want to control. Uh, I think that impulse springs from the notion that unless I control and unless I dominate, this thing will do something that will hurt me, and that's a fear response. It's not a freedom response. It's a desire to restrict freedom in order to dominate and control, mm-hmm. and predict what the other will do in a way that is all that is, has been predetermined by by the person who has the fear and it but it but it presents itself as strength and then and, and when it's not uh, responded to in the way it desires it uses violence whether that's uh, verbal violence physical violence Systemic violence to impose its will because it's it's a way of thinking about power that prizes power over
2: mm-hmm.
3: as opposed mm-hmm. to power with or power for.
1: Mm. Wow. Given given what you just shared, what do you think has been the impact of toxic masculinity?
3: Oh well, it's, it's had an Im- impact on everyone.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, I would say in males, it has, it has destroyed boyhood. Uh, so I don't know if you saw, I, I think it was last week, there was this viral video of these two little boys. One was black and one was white. And I guess they went to the same preschool or something. Yeah. They hadn't seen each other for a little while and they just happened to be on the same street with their parents and you saw them running toward uh-huh. each other and Yeah. And then then each other. other. Yeah. yeah. And hugging each other and everybody loved that and everything.
1: Yeah. I watched that a few times myself.
3: Yeah. Well, the sadness of that is as those boys get older, that kind of hugging expression is going to be frowned on more and more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. And so I, I remember when I was a boy in elementary school and I remember the joy I had to be with my friend and how we would laugh and play together and we would hug each other and walk down the street with our arm around each other's neck and chant and dance and skip together and all these things, right? And that was beautiful, right? And I love that. But as we got older, and even I think before we got out of elementary school, those kinds of things weren't okay for boys. You know, it was kind of like people began to ask questions about, are you gay or something like that for that kind of behavior, which which is nothing more than natural happiness and joy and emotional vulnerability.
0: Right. Mm-hmm
3: right and delight in one another so 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 what begins to happen is there's a quote unquote toughening up process that we within our group have learned to impose on one another so that so that by the time you get to middle school then you don't want to be considered weak you don't want to be considered soft you don't want to be considered a punk right
2: mm-hmm.
3: you have to put on this this mask this School pose, or it was called in earlier decades or whatever. But it's kind of this invincibility, nothing can hurt me and I'm strong persona, right? And we even punched each other into it. Let me explain what I mean by that. So we we had a game that we played called chess. And what chess was is you could be like if you were 12, 10, 11, 11, 12, 13, 14, like that. You could be like standing around in a group of boys with your quote unquote friend. And one of them, without any warning, would haul off and hit you in your chest as hard as they could. Oh. Wham! Right? And your response to that had to be to shake it off and go, that wasn't nothing. You couldn't cry. <laughs> you couldn't say, Oh, that hurt. Mm-hmm. You couldn't betray any any feeling that communicated that, that was hurt and you that, that hurt and you didn't like it. You had to show yourself quote quote to be a man, which meant that those kinds of feelings or any weakness in you could not be publicly expressed. Wow. And so, and you were also expected to return in kind at a moment when the person who did it didn't expect it to come back at them.
0: So, so this is happens, the t- when you don't want to participate. Is that when? Yeah, is there an
1: option to opt out? <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather not play
0: this game.
2: <laughs> right. Okay. People- so. Like,
3: kids assume, or kids say that, like, oh, somebody's gay, or they're soft, or... That's what would happen. You would be shamed.
2: Mm -hmm. Wow. So either
3: the crew would, like, not want you around them, or if you hung around with them, then they would just hit you more. (laughs) Wow. With the notion that this was going to make, this was going to toughen you up. So that destroys boyhood. It, it truncates it. It stops its healthy development, which meant that we couldn't claim all of our emotion. Crying in public, that's a no-no, right? Admitting that something hurt you, that's a no-no. Yeah. And so, so that's one of the, the, the really damaging effects of patriarchy and toxic masculinity It takes the joy out of boyhood and maleness and makes us emotional cripples.
1: So I think there's something there when you say emotional cripples that is really, really significant in terms of the long-term impact of that, right? How it impacts one's own development how it impacts how one interacts with the with another person, either in intimate relationships or out of intimate relationships, um, mm-hmm. impacts work, impacts family, right? I'm wondering. Yeah. Um, then I'm actually thinking about a lot of things because you said a lot, but I have to try to keep to stay on track. I'm wondering, mm-hmm. on the heels of that, what's the danger then of developing as a person who has uh who's been emotionally crippled right mm-hmm. i'm kind of wondering what happens then if boyhood is destroyed what 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 could that lead to
3: so one of the things that it can lead to is a notion of manhood that is almost exclusively performative
2: mm-hmm. yeah
3: that man is. Your, your level of manhood is based on what you do, not just who you are. So your value or worth as a man or a male is tied to your performance in different areas that are identified as the quote-unquote male area. So I know in my—I like I was one, at one time in a men's Bible study group at one of the churches I was uh, in— And um, the pastor said that, you know, in order to be a good Christian man, you had to be three things, right? It was provider, protector, and priest, right? And all three of those things are performance, right? Provider, you have to have a job and you have to bring in the money and preferably most of the money, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, protector meant that you had to be a physical um, defense for uh, those people that you cared about or that you claimed as your own or that claimed you or your community priest. So, So you were responsible for being the most knowledgeable about the religious life and teaching that or seeing that that got taught to your wife and your children or the other people in your community if they had those things. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying that any of those things in and of themselves are bad,
2: Mm -hmm.
3: but if I'm, if I, and then of course there was always sexual prowess, whether that was stated or not, right? Mm -hmm. Performance. So, if I perform well, these things, then that means that I am a good man or a strong man or a powerful man. But if I don't, if I'm unemployed or underemployed or my, my partner brings in more money than me, right? If I, if I'm not a good fighter or don't inspire fear in other people when I feel like I should or need to, or if I'm not the knowledgeable one about the, the spiritual life of our community and then does that mean I'm less Mm man? What if, what if, or, or I don't, or I don't perform like, you know, a stud in a porno movie uh, in the bedroom. Does Mm -hmm. that make me less man? If I have erectile dysfunction,
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
3: does that, less a man. So 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 all of those none of those things all of those things are based on what I can do but not on who I be. Yeah. And so this notion becomes spread wider and wider until all of us are judging our value and worth based on what we produce as opposed to who we be. Mm. And the, the, the danger in that is built in because as I age, that in itself is going to mean I'm not going to be able to perform these things as I once did when I was a young man, mm-hmm. when I was in my prime of life. Does that mean I'm less and less man as I get older and older and more dependent instead of independent? Yeah. Or interdependent? I... And so that that becomes you know so 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 it it's it's so debilitating, and if you're emotional if you're going emotionally emotionally crippled as you grow up and you grow into manhood and there isn't significant change that happens then you're limited in your ability to even express your emotion.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: And and for the most part, toxic masculinity and patriarchy only allow men two emotions for the most part. Angry and horny. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: So, I might feel afraid, but it's expressed as angry. I might want to be caressed or held but it's expressed as horny and so I only have these two ways of expressing myself but neither of those can approach the full range of emotions that I actually have but I don't know other ways to do it because I've learned that to be manly is to not be vulnerable.
1: Mm. Ray and I were just mouthing to ourselves that um, that a lot of what you're saying is just absolutely incredible. We're sitting here just soaking all of this in to the point at which we could just give you the mic, the virtual mic, right, right and just let you... Just <laughs> talk. You don't even need any other questions from... I mean, it's just you have said so much that this conversation can actually continue and go into, I think a wide variety of directions because of everything that you've just shared. Um, but one thing that I wanted to bring, uh, back to the surface was this idea of performance that you mentioned. And because yeah. the things that we're talking about, um, in this kind of, these series of interviews, um, is, uh, it has some focus on the trans community. And I was wondering to myself after we talking, I was recalling some experiences I've, I've had growing up um, where I've had um, men, well, maybe one, maybe it was one man. <laughs> there was a time where I had one guy approach me um, and it, he was approaching me because his friend thought I was cute. And then he said to me right on the heels of that, He said, I think he's a little gay. Now, in my adulthood, Mm. I know what he meant by that because even at that age, I was probably like 18 or so, I was still kind of masculine presenting. And so there was, I guess, a perceived threat, right? Like, is my friend really a man because he's attracted to you kind of thing. That was kind of what was underlying it.
2: Mm.
1: Now, when I think about that experience and compare it to a story that um, Leray's cousin, uh, Julie, recently recently shared with us. She's a trans woman, black trans woman. She was walking okay. down the street. There was a a group of men that were in a car and something was said um, like, hey, or, or something like that. That's, that could be another conversation about catcalling and all of that, but I'll leave that there. Yeah. Um, and so she turns and... Uh, What, long story short, apparently, the other men in the car started to, uh, there was some conversation that was happening because the the man that said that to her, he didn't say anything else for a minute. And what she thinks has happened is that his friend said, do you know that's a man? Right? Now, that response, though, what happened after that was very different than what happened with the little guy that walked up to me and said, I think my friend might be a little gay. That turns venomous, right? Because there's something in my mind where it's, it seems as though if there's a thought that a man is attracted to a trans woman and he's called right. out, that is an egregious kind of mark on your masculinity. You must do something now, right?
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: I kind of right. wonder. So, what happened was they ended up. Uh, I think they were saying some derogatory things to her mm-hmm. um, as she was. So, this is his way of trying to reclaim, like, oh, I and I and I, you know, that kind of thing, right? And goes right. right. even further where many of our, uh, you know, black trans women, especially, are harmed. They're murdered, right? And yeah. I can't yeah. say that all. I can't hang this up right on toxic masculinity. But I'd venture to say, <laughs> based on our short conversation here, that there's something about that that, that, that impacts um, how some people treat Black trans women, especially, and the violence that community faces mm-hmm. at the hands, most of the time, right. of men. I was going to say other men, yeah. have, but of men. And of Black men, right? mostly.
3: Right. So yeah, um,
1: I said a mouthful there, but I think you know what, I, what uh, I'm kind of getting at. I'll let you respond.
3: Yeah, well, so I don't know if you know about this, but um, there's an actor, a Black actor named, named uh, Malik Yoba.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And um, a couple of weeks ago, he publicly expressed I probably can't use the exact words he used, but an affinity for trans women.
0: Yeah. I think he used trans attracted or something.
3: Right. Right. Trans attractive, trans attractive or something like that. And, um, so this, I mean, you know, things just blew up after that. Um, but in bad and good ways because he said he got like 50,000 followers on Twitter. (laughs) Um, and a lot of people just thanking him for claiming that identity, but also his conversations having to do with, you know, his opposition to violence against black trans women and the mistakes that we're making in terms of, you know, um, Binary thinking about gender and sexuality and, um, and I, and I just um, heard there was kind of like this debate with him and another guy who didn't agree with what he was saying. This guy, Judge Joe Brown, I guess he's one of those judge shows or something like that. And, you know, he, it was, It was really interesting. He says, well, I don't know why with all of the things that are urgent issues for the Black community, we have to be talking about this. Oh, gosh. And he went on to say how he felt these people referring to (laughs) queer and trans folks you know, non-binary folks were destroying the Black family. So, and and then what? Ha- one of the things that happened with Malik was, so he's in a fraternity. I think it's the Kappa fraternity. And one of the things he did as a part of his fraternity was he worked with young Black boys in some type of mentoring program or something like that. Well, one of the first actions that the frat took was to remove him from interaction with those young boys.
2: What?
3: Yes. Because I guess they felt either he was a danger to the young boys or he could influence them with his ideas. Whichever of the two was the thing, they needed him away from these young boys, quote unquote, to protect them. And one of the things that is so fascinating about this. He said that there was a former head of the chapter of their frat who was closeted and got into something where the person was killed by someone because of their, their, clo- you know, their, their closeted identity. And the frat did nothing. Wow. Okay. And so because, and and I think one of the undiscussed issues in homophobia and transphobia is misogyny. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's the hatred of women and the concomitant hatred of men that seem women-like. So if someone expresses a an, a sexual interest or a relational interest, an intimate relational interest, if some man right, mm. expresses that interest in someone who is a quote-unquote a female like male, that right there is a cause for shame and questioning someone's manhood. I and so I see there's exactly these... what
0: you're saying. Cause I, I realize right. that a lot of a lot of these men, um, they will not like they refuse to acknowledge trans women as women. Like they just keep going back to a man or a man, even right. saying a man who wants to be a woman, but they refuse to acknowledge them as women, just women period. And so I, I absolutely agree. And I, I, I got stuck on something you said. And then I was, I realized what you were saying when you said uh, men who are like women, like quote unquote, like women. Cause I guess for them, um, they're feminine men. And that is like,
3: right. just, it's, it's crossing fem- the line for them. Right. Absolutely. So they're female-like. Right? So yes. That means they're weak men. They don't become women. They're a weak man. Right? And the other part to that is, it's a refusal to acknowledge that you may, in your own self, have an affinity. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. No. And Please. rather than admit that to the boys, which would disqualify you in their eyes, yeah. right? Yeah, you've got to go overboard to prove mm-hmm. that you ain't about that, which can lead to the violence.
1: Sometimes mm-hmm. I, I, I believe, um, if I really think about it, that people... Who go out of their way, like the mini stories, for, for example, of pastors who just denounced homosexuality and oh, yeah. up, go to hell, they're the ones slipping their hotel room card to right. another Complete. man, right? Um, Complete. Complete. Undercover. So I, sometimes I think when, when it's like over the top, I always go, hmm, is there something that you're not dealing with uh, internally?
3: Right. So this is where querying can help free us. Yes, <laughs> All right. All because, right. That because with it, you could claim whatever those identities are. Yeah. Right. And, it, then it, and it's not a sin or it's not an abomination or you're yeah. not a sin or you're not an abomination or you're not a weirdo or you're not a fact. I mean, it's just. You're just a person with a complicated, fluid and mysterious gender and sexual being. Yeah. That's where queering helps. Yes.
1: Yep, yeah, absolutely. Queering and I would even say well, there's other there's a few things, but one of the other things I'd say, especially for the black community, is knowing how our history, right, impacts our present. So when you know our ancestors who are hypersexualized. To the point at which, you know, any glance or any look, it was like, we wanted, you know, everyone, right? right? And how yeah. that has impacted the way that we view our own sexuality. We, it's like, oh, we can't, that's not us. We're not going to deviate from, you know, certain quote unquote normative standards because we're not about yeah. that. We're upright, we're proper people, right? I think yeah. Yeah. knowing our history and how we, we've taken sort of the master's tools, just to borrow a little bit.
3: <laughs> uh, to, that that we've actually... Lord, yeah, definitely. Things, right? Yeah, yeah, no, I... I so it's, it's interesting because it works in different ways as you go up and down the, the class ladder, too. Because, you know, in middle class, you know, in many middle, middle, middle and upper class um, uh, sensibilities, imitation, right, is the thing. We want to show them that we can be like that. Right. Right?
2: Mm-hmm. And
3: we're not... What they say about you know, we're not the we don't fit, we're not the stereotype. We're yeah. not the hyper. We're not we're not sam- we're not a uh, uh, what do we call that? Uh, mandingo, and, yeah. right? <laughs> um, you know, so so we we we, we are properly uh, uh, modest and um, modest. Uh, non-sexual, right? Mm-hmm. So so then you can't talk about sex in church, and you can't even mention sex in church, and the body is evil. And it, because it refuses, you know, the flesh has to be conquered, as Paul wrote, because it refuses to obey God. Uh-huh. And while, you know, all that talk's going on in the sanctuary, people are wilding and in all their little private spaces. But so, so, so with, with that sensibility, it's, it's trying to show I can perform a wasp whiteness as it's presented as this kind of purest, purest ideal. And that is the, that's one of the dangers as well, right? Yeah. We're going to prove to them that what they've been saying about our rampant sexual appetites are not true. Yes, And this is, we're going to do
1: it. Yes, yes, yes.
0: I'm, I'm actually in awe right <laughs> Me now too. Um, because I, I, this say, is, I think this is good. I know. I'm like, yeah. I, I was not necessarily expecting any type of answers from you, but like, that the oh gosh, just the the quality of dialogue that, that we in the depth, depth. It's yeah. just I'm so I'm so happy right now. Yeah, so, <laughs> so happy right now because I feel like there is hope. And the fact yes. you know Shameen and I did an episode on um it was on hope and uh like damaging theology, right? And what I was oh, wow. Saying to her was, you know, it's really, it, it makes me sad because people look at preachers and pastors and bishops and priests mm. as um, that we put them on this pedestal and a lot of people don't take what they're being taught and go and do more research and read, you know, they just, or even if we're using the Bible, some people don't even open their Bible. They just take what the preacher is saying as fact. And I feel like if people are going to do that, which I, I already think is dangerous, but if you're going to do that, we have to have more responsible preachers and teachers. Mm-hmm. And so if if someone is, if you have a congregation full of folk and you're telling them what a lot of people have been told their whole lives, which is, you know, uh, being gay is a sin, being a... Uh, trans is not even, not just a sin, but it's not a thing at all. Like it's, it's just a man in a dress or a woman who wants to wear, you know, who wants to be as powerful as a man, whatever that means. But, um, like when you're told all these things, you begin to believe them. And so because People like you or even me or even myself, you know, like we 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 get to speak to people and stand in front of people. We have to be responsible for our words and yes. not just our actions, but for our, our words, because people take the, those words as fact and as truth. And I mean, literally. We're just we're, we're ruining lives with with the words, with the hate that we spew. You know what I mean? Like we talk about Trump and how, how damaging he is, which he is. Um, But when we use such horrible language, what makes us better than him? Do you get what I'm saying? Like what makes us (laughs) any better than (laughs) someone like him? When we have the platform to change lives for the better and transform lives for the better when, we're not. We're literally telling the same people in our congregations that something's wrong with their kids or something's wrong with them. You know, but we'll let you lead our choir. We'll let you, you know, sing in our choir. We'll let you lead our choir. But don't bring that gay mess in here. Don't, you know, right. don't right. we don't no, that... see it. Right. We don't want to yeah. see it and we don't want to be a part of it. But, you know, we'll let you work. We'll let you shuck and jive because, you know, that's what we're doing. No, do you get what I'm saying, though? It's like, we'll take the shuck and jive, but we don't want nothing else.
3: Yeah, we'll give you a Sunday pass.
2: Right, right, right.
3: Um, So any, any serious and principled movement for freedom knows that it has to have an internal critique as well as an external critique. It's not enough to look outside of the community and point out what are the dangers. That's incomplete, and that's easy. What also has to happen simultaneously is to look inside of the community for the ways that we think and the ways that we act that do not serve the cause of freedom. Naming one another as abominations and things that God hates does not serve the cause of freedom. That follows colonization. That's what they do. Make us non-persons. Joe Brown says, these people are destroyed, as if these people are not part of Black family. Right. Oh, come on now. Right? These people are our sons and daughters, our nephews and uncles and cousins and grand- You
2: know. Yes.
3: So, so, these are not this is not an invasion from some outsider we're talking about <laughs> our kids
1: yeah yeah
3: and so we have to be able to say that throwing our people away that will not lead us to freedom if we want white people to be better about diversity shouldn't we what <laughs> to say that and if we're going to critique them for their inability to deal with difference, then we have to point the finger right back at ourselves. Wow. And say, where is it, where's, where's the, where where are we struggling with the issue of difference among us? That's that whole, that's that classic thing of, you know, we can see the speck in the neighbor's eye, can't see the log in your eye. Right. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I
0: realized that, um, the more, cause I'm, I'm, Shamian and I, we always joke about like, uh, she calls me the, what is it? The Malcolm and she's the Martin or she always oh, calls yeah. me Angela Davis. Yeah. You're Angela Davis. And, and so, and because I, we both are very, very pro-black, but we go about it in different ways. Uh, and, but we both have the same mission, right? Um, but what I realize is that a lot of black folk, they don't want to do a both. And it's like, like you just said with, with Judge Joe Brown, it's like, you know, we got too many, too many issues already that we're trying to fight for black folk. We can't fight for black folk and gay folk. We can't, you know what I'm saying? Or we can't fight for black men and black women. It has to be right. one or the other. Right. We can't do a both and. Right. And it drives me crazy because I'm like, we are black. Like, it's, it's not just black men's lives that matter or, you know, black straight black lives oh, yeah. that matter. Like, why can't we look at it as black lives in general? I mean, literally, black trans right. women are black. They're black women. And so we, yeah. we have to, and you're absolutely right. Like, if we want people to stop discriminating, we have to stop discriminating. Like, literally, we have to stop looking at it as, you know, this heteronormative uh, idea of what Black is supposed to be.
3: Right, right. And so that's the problem, is that it's limiting and it's selecting people out, right? Yeah. And that's the opposite of, of how God behaves and what, how God wants us to behave. God doesn't separate people out because God can't think of the persons that God made that God loves more than other ones. God delights in all of us, not because of what we've done, but just because we're here. It isn't performative. We don't have to qualify. Yeah. We don't have to prove ourselves to receive God's love. It's unconditional. And that's the road we have to try to make our way on if indeed freedom is really what we want, as opposed to just we want to be like the, our, our colonizers, but we just want us in charge instead of them.
1: I think I'm genuinely at a loss for words at how powerful this interview has been. I mean, I just, when I said earlier in the podcast that I would be replaying this, Uh, More so now, I'll probably play it a few times because there has been something, I think, uh, spiritual that has at least happened for Ray and I here listening to you. So incredibly insightful, such a profound example for others, especially as a Black cisgender man, right. Who is also an incredible leader in our spiritual communities as a pastor. I cannot, we cannot thank you enough for your transparency, for the time that you've taken both to invest in yourself as you, as you have said, as you continue on this journey of becoming and in the ways that shows how much you really value and care about the communities that you are called to serve and lead i am i am really blown away by some of the things that you've shared so as we as we wrap up our time together i wanted to make sure that that was very clearly stated to you thank you so much Reverend. absolutely thank you for being on today really really appreciate your time
3: well i i appreciate your invitation to me and in sharing your space with me and and the questions that you've asked right that have caused me to think again, um, I love that and i I'm a beneficiary of of the lives and stories of many, many people over my lifetime, and you all you two are a part of that stream right that I've been swimming in. <clears throat> that has helped me to come to some of the understandings that I have now. And I thank you for that. I, I appreciate your realness Mm. and you all, you know, there's much more at stake for you in your real life than for me.
2: Mm.
3: And I, and I don't take that for granted and I appreciate it. And I just thank you for your courage and your willingness to be your real selves in a really hostile environment.
2: Yeah. Um, thank you for seeing. And so,
3: thank you, thank you, thank you.
0: That was great. Yeah, yeah. It's really enjoyable. We definitely want to thank Reverend Kamal for spending the time with us and coming yes. out—not coming out because this was a Zoom call. <laughs> 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 well he yeah <laughs> but taking his time yeah. to spend with us and uh, talk with us um, and share his thoughts mm-hmm. it's awesome and like Shemian said I hope y'all understood or saw how it just it built it was like a sermon it just kept building mm-hmm. and building and until yeah, he, he brought the life. house down yeah. hallelujah, hallelujah.
1: <laughs> Um, anything you want to say Um, just that, you know, we usually do dedications and I want to dedicate this to people that are trying to, um, find the connection between spirituality and, um, uh, LGBTQ, you know, issues, Uh, just hopefully, uh, in that conversation, we're able to see, even though, you know, of course the emphasis was on toxic masculinity that, you know, He's a pastor at heart, and so just the fact that he took the time uh, to talk to us about these issues, the way he talked about inclusivity, right. I just want to dedicate this to people who are seeking that, seeking spirituality, and all those things, all the LGBTQ alphabet. God is there. Amen. I also wanna I want to
0: add on to that. Um, I want to dedicate it to spiritual leaders who are doing the work. Yeah. Who are who may be like Reverend Kamal, who are not even in an LGBTQ type mm-hmm. church, right. Um, right? Or who may not even be uh, like in the community per se as like a gay male or lesbian mm-hmm. or whatever, Good. but just a you know straight male preacher who is uh, or female preacher, whatever, who is trying to um, make their congregations aware of their lack of inclusivity. Mm-hmm. Um, Or just reaching out and loving those who may be different from them. So I want to dedicate this to those who are doing the work. Not just talking about it, but doing it. Yep. And I think that's it. Okay. Yeah? Yep. All right, y'all. Come back next week where we will have another episode of... Of what?
1: I usually do the dot, dot, dot part. Black... Queer and dot dot dot. <laughs> Getting good at that part.
0: Aye, y'all. amen and amen and ashe. Okay.
2: What?
0: Okay. Bye, bye. I wasn't finished. Bye. She took off her headphones, but I'm still going. Bye. Are you gonna say bye? She's out the door, y'all. Bye.